Okay. It's true that on Sukkot we recite Kohelis. And Siv points out an interesting aspect of why Kohelis on Sukkot. There's a lot of reasons given. Siv points out, when you read Kohelis, you don't find Hashem's name really in it anywhere till the very, very end. And one of the aspects of Kohelis is that it has a very universal message. He says that Kohelis was a time um, that Sukkot was a time that nations of the world came up to Jerusalem to hear the words of wisdom of Shlomo Melech. So he actually addressed an international audience. It's interesting, the UN General Assembly and all the addresses always come around this time of the year. In a sense, that's what was going on in Jerusalem at the time. It was a kind of a united nations where nations would come to Jerusalem and and Kohelas, meaning Shlomo Melech, would address them and say words of wisdom and philosophy to them that they would then take back with them. So, yes, Sukkot contains a universal element to it. But yes, one of the things that the Gemara says is why there's a total of 70 bulls that are brought on Sukkot is to correspond to the 70 nations of the world that we bring Korbanus on their behalf. So there's a universal message that goes with Sukkot as well. So the point that I'm trying to bring out is, number one, we have this universal aspect that goes with Sukkot, which just doesn't, you know, like why? You know, Kohelis is recited by Shlomo Melch to the nations of the world. We bring the Pore Hachak, Neged Shidim the 70 nations. Then there's this apocalypse aspect to, uh, to Sukkot. It's apocalyptic. You have Nuchamz Gogum Mogog and the Haftorah. You have the other Haftorahs of Sukkot that deal with issues of, um, of um, you know, of the apocalypse, really, of the end of days, end of times, Mashiach times, redemption. But of course, there is a special, very interesting insert that we do in benching. You know, every Shabbos you make that insert. Right, that we we pray that we should have a good year. Sukkis, what's the insert for Sukkis? That's what we recite in benching. And that's the title of this piece if you look on the on the page in front of you. Harachman who Yokim Lanu, may the merciful one uh, establish for us or, or raise up the sukkah of David that has fallen. What is that? What kind of a prayer insert that we have that in the Birchas HaMazen where we say, may Hashem establish for us and raise up and fix up, repair, whatever you want to call it, raise up the fallen sukkah of David HaMelech. That's, that's what we have in the benching. Okay, so now I'm going to read here. Yeah, well, it, well, it's really referring to the dynasty of Dovr HaMelech. There's no temple in the days of Dovr. So the Sukkah's Dovr HaNofelos probably is more a reference to the Davidic dynasty, which is the reestablishment of the Davidic rule through Mashiach. So Harachman Yochumon Sukkah's Dovr HaNofelos is a prayer for the um, for the coming of Mashiach ben David and the restoration of 
the Davidic monarchy and the Davidic reign. So we have to understand what does it mean, the sukkah of David, the fallen sukkah of David. Where does that come from? Okay, let's read inside. I will read inside. If you want, you can either follow inside or just listen. Who's the author of this piece? I am. Mahu hakesher bein chag What's this connection between the holiday of Sukkot and this futuristic aspect that we just described about the future redemption? All of the haftaras of Chag Sukkot, Meleim Inyonei Nevua Shel Asina. As I mentioned, we have the haftaras of Sukkot that deal with futuristic redemption. Nochames Gogumogog, etc. Kamanovi Zechariah Misnabe. Then, of course, we have the passage from, from the Novi Zechariah that says that the Yontav of Sukkot is going to be the testing ground for all the nations of the world. This is how God's going to test the nations of the world in terms of what they're going to do on Sukkot, whether they're going to come up to Yerushalayim, whether they will pay homage to the Jewish people and to the base of Mikdash, at the time of Sukkot. So again, there you have both aspects that we're talking about that we mentioned earlier. A, the universalist, the universal aspect of Sukkot, where all the nations of the world, we mentioned earlier that the nations of the world actually came in the days of Shlomo Melech to hear the words of Shlomo, the wisdom of Solomon in Yerushalayim on Sukkot. But again, in the future, the nations again are going to be expected to make a hajj or a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, when? On Sukkot. So you have both connections there. The universal aspect of Sukkot, as well as the apocalyptic aspect, as well as the gula, the lo'osid lavo, the Mashiach times, that comes together on Sukkot. You have that all in this, in this passage from the Novi Zechariah, that Chag Sukkot is going to be the testing ground of the nations of the world. Maybe. Many of you are familiar with the Gemara in Avod Zara. Dav Beis and Dav Gimel, we've made reference to this many, many times, that it's going to be the mitzvah of sukkah by which God is going to judge the nations of the world. And it's going to be the mitzvah of sukkah, yivchanu kol that the nations are going to be judged by whether they perform the mitzvah of sukkah. Gama novi omus, and this is of course really the key to understanding this phrase that we have in benching. The novi omus, misnabe where it says, the, the quotation is, by Yoim Hahu, on that day, Okim I shall erect as Sukkah's Dovid Hanofalos. So it's really a paraphrase of this passage from the Novi Omos, where God says, on that day, I will reestablish and erect the fallen Sukkah of David. So what does it mean, fallen Sukkah of David? Now many of you perhaps remember that we learned this in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, in Perak Chaylik, for those of you that remember, that the Gemara in Sanhedrin refers to Mashiach as Bar Nafli. Remember Bar Nafli? Son of the Fallen One. Where did that expression come from, Bar Nafli? It comes on account of this passage from Omus. So Mashiach is actually referred to as the Son of the Fallen. Machmas Posik is because of this Posik. And that's why we, we, we pray on Sukkot, Hashem should reestablish for us the fallen Sukkah of David. So now we have to understand, Sarach Lohavin, HaKesher, Bein Sukkot, U Mashiach, 
What's the connection between Sukkot and Mashiach? And also, why is this name out of all you know, titles or adjectives or epithets chosen for Mashiach to refer to him as Bar Nafli, son of the fallen, on account of this Pasik that talks about the fallen Sukkah of David? Why the fallen Sukkah of David? Why is Mashiach given this attribution? My time in Nikra Mashiach beshames us why this name. So this is taken from the Gemara in Sanhedrin of Tzadik Zayin. Gam Tzorach Bir, my time is Sukkot, Nikra Zman Simchoseinu. On another, on another question, we refer to Sukkot as the time of our Simcha. What exactly is that referring to? Another question, my time of Bo Miyad Achar Hashem Yom Kippur. What's the reason why Sukkot comes exactly in close proximity to the Yom Naran, to the days of awe, to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, this time of the year. My time will be Tishrei. Why do we do it in Tishrei and not Nisan? This is, of course, the famous question that's asked by many people. Why is Sukkot, which, which commemorates not only um, you know, parts of the redemption, but why do we do it in Tishrei rather than Nisan, together with Pesach? Now, it's really the ideal thing would be to sit in a Sukkah and eat matzah during commemoration of Zman Chayrusenu. So there's a very, so there's a number of very, very famous answers to this. But we're going to focus on an answer that we talked about years ago. And again, that's why I said some of you will be able to relate to the material that we're, that we're going through now better than others based on previous years. So that's why I put you in... Uh, you know, down there on the bottom of the totem pole, because I don't know if you're familiar with some of this material. And, and I can't really reference all the material and do an elaborate job of it. As I told you, I couldn't really, you know, prepare pages of it because there's just too many little things that I'm going to make reference to. So what I'm referring now to is the, is the answer of the Vilna going to this famous question. Famous question, why not eat Matzah in the Sukkah on Pesach. If we're commemorating Zechel Yitzhak Mitzrayim, Sukkah says, L'man yehudu dar seichem ki vasukkah so shafti as bnei Yisrael v'yitziyah yisam eretz Mitzrayim. Sukkah is a commemoration or one of the commemorations of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So why is it in Tishrei? Why is it this time of the year? So the Vilna Gaon gives a very fascinating answer. He says, because Sukkah is a, rem- a reminder or commemoration it's a zecher for the return of the Anane HaKovod that occurred after Yom Kippur. And it occurred exactly on the 15th of Tishrei. Now, what does that mean? Let me just briefly explain. I don't want to go into the Vilna Goyen's Vort because we don't have time for that. But for those of you that remember, fine. For those of you that don't, I'm just going to give a very brief uh, synopsis of the Vilna Goyen's Vort. He says like this, we know that what happened was when the Jews sinned with the eagle, so after the sin of the eagle, they lost the clouds of glory. It was the clouds of glory that they came out with. Egypt, Hashem, surrounded them with clouds of glory. Um, you know what? Maybe let's just briefly take a quick look at what Sukkot commemorates for us since we have the Chumash in front of us. Let's briefly just take a look at that. Pasuk Membez. That's the fourth line of the page on 358. What does it say there? In Sukkot shall you dwell for seven days. All citizens, all members of Klal Yisrael shall dwell in Sukkot. 
Why? So it tells us, Pasuk Mem Gimel, Leman yeidu daraseichem, in order that your future generations shall know, ki basukos, that in Sukkos, Hoshafti es b'nei Yisrael, I had the Jews dwell, b'hotziyosam, when I brought them out, when I took them out, me'eretz mitzrayim, ani Hashem alokeichem. So what is, how do we define the, the word Sukkos? It says in Pasuk Membez, Basukos teish v'shibas yom, in Sukkos, in huts, let's call it huts, in huts shall the Jewish people dwell, kolaz of Yisrael, yeish v'sukkos, they shall dwell in huts. L'manyei dudorseichem, Ki basukos hashatiz b'nei Yisrael that I had the Jews dwell in Sukkos, in huts. So we have the famous Gemara in the well-known Gemara in the Sukkah that has a machloekis as to what is the commemoration of Sukkos. Now, if you look in Targum Unkelis, look in Targum Unkelis on the side. Targum Unkelis translates the word Sukkos as bimtalayo. Right? If you look in the beginning of Pasik Membez, Bimtalayo Teisvun Shivas Yomen. Bimtalayo means portable booths. In portable booths shall you dwell for seven days. Kol Yatsiva Yisrael, all citizens of Israel, Yesvun shall dwell. Bimtalayo. In Talayo, which is huts. Then the next Pasik Umkla says as follows. Bidil, bidil rather, the Yedun. In order that they shall know, Dorech on your generations, Are, that on account of Bimtalas Anone, Asevis Yospene Yisrael, that in Talayas, in booths of Anone, I had the Jews dwell. So Unkelis inserts the word Anone. That means he adds to the word Sukkos a defining feature, not in huts, but in huts of clouds. So he combines those both? Well, no, he doesn't combine. He's just basically paskening like the Manda Omer and the Gemara that says that Sukkot is a commemoration of the clouds of glory. So the Pasuk says very clearly, at least according to Unkelis, according to that Manda Omer and the Gemara, that what we're commemorating is the clouds of glory that the Jews dwelled in when they came out of Egypt. But again, that leaves open the question, so why don't we do it on the 15th of Nisan? The Jews came out of Egypt on the 15th of Nisan. We're commemorating Yitzhak Mitzrayim. We're commemorating the clouds of glory that surrounded the Jews. And as Stan pointed out, it's for 40 years. But if you have to pick a time as to when that commemoration should occur in the calendar, it was a 40-year thing that they had, why don't we commemorate Nisan? Well, according to the Vilna Gain, there's a very interesting aspect to this. Yes, they had clouds of glory when they came out of Mitzrayim on the 15th of Nisan, but they lost those clouds of glory on Shivasar Betamuz, which was several months later, right? About, um, what was it, Nisan, E.R., Sivan, Tamuz, like, like around three months later, a little over three months later, they lost those clouds of glory. Now, during the entire summer, when Moshe Rabbeinu was up on the mountain, not only the first time, but even the second time, they did not have those clouds of glory. What? Must have been hot. Must have been hot. Okay. So they had to have fans instead of air conditioning. So Moshe Rabbeinu comes down to them on Yom Kippur. And that's when they're forgiven. So on the day of Yom Kippur, they were forgiven. But it was only when they began the construction or the gathering of the material for the construction of the Mishkan that the clouds returned. It took several days after Moshe Rabbeinu gave them the commandment to build the Mishkan, to gather the material, 
And it was on the 15th of Tishrei that they actually began the construction of the Mishkan. That's when the clouds of glory returned to them. And therefore what we're commemorating on Sukkot is the return of the clouds of glory on the 15th of Nisan, which occurred on this day. In other words, the 15th of Nisan, the 15th of, of Asari, the 15th of Tishrei, when the clouds of glory returned to the Jews, that's when they began the Mishkan, that's when they rejoiced at the return of the clouds of glory, that's when this, the Yom of Sukkot is, so we're commemorating the return of the clouds of glory. This makes it almost not a good question anymore. Well, kind of, but, so now the question becomes, to make note of the fact that what we're commemorating with the clouds of glory is not precisely the clouds of glory that we had when we came out of Egypt, but the return of the clouds of glory, the second set of clouds that occurred on this day, is really what we're commemorating according to the Vilna Gaon. Okay, so we're going to go along with that approach. Shehoya Ach Yom Kippur. Okay, and that occurred after Yom Kippur, on the 15th Tishrei. Vimkain, therefore, it's not really a zecher of the Anana Yaakovot in general. We're not just commemorating clouds of glory, but we're rather commemorating a very specific set of clouds of glory. In fact, we're not even commemorating clouds of glory, perhaps, but we're commemorating the return of clouds of glory. That's an interesting concept. That it's a zecher for the return, for the chazora of the Anana Yaakovod. Because the first set of Anana Yaakovod, Nevd, were lost. Tishrei is when the Anana Yaakovod returned a second time. So we have to explain this as well. How come we're making this commemoration for the second set that returned specifically? Okay, next paragraph. V'nir So now we're going to segue into Rosh Hashanah. This is really a lecture that I could give either on Sukkot or Rosh Hashanah, but as you'll see now, a very interesting aspect of Rosh Hashanah. Now, everybody knows as they're growing up. In fact, it's the one thing that everybody knows as a child, and you think of it as you grow up as this is a childlike idea. Why do you blow the shofar? What are all children taught? Why do you blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? To fool the satan. Everybody knows that. It's to confuse and to confound the satan. Now what happens is you outgrow that and you laugh at it and you smirk and you smile. But it actually comes from the Gemara. So we have to understand what that means. Because it makes sense. And in Rosh Hashanah you're being judged. And he's the accuser. He's the accuser. And the idea is to confound him so he doesn't accuse. Okay. The Ayin Taisis Rosh Hashanah Tezayin Amadbeis, he brings down from the Oroch, which is an early, early Rishon and the Yerushalmi, where it says, the Gemara says that, the Gemara is the one that says it over there in Rosh Hashanah Tezayin, that the purpose of blowing the shofar, in terms of Tkiyaz the Miyushim, Tkiyaz the Mu'mid, is to confound the Sotan. What exactly does that mean? How do you confuse and confound the Sotan by blowing the shofar? So the Yerushalmi has a very fascinating interpretation of what it means to confound the Satan. What does it mean to confuse the Satan? Says the Yushalmi that the Irvuv HaSatan, in the words of the Yushalmi, is Machmas Koila Shoifer, is because of the Pasik that says, Bila Hamovis Lonetzach, that in the future, redemption, death shall be swallowed forever. Uksiv, and it says, It'll be on that day, that a shofar, the great shofar, 
shall be sounded and blown on that day. So it refers to the, to the, aboli, to the abolition or the banishment of the Satan and death. And on that day, a shofar will be blown. So therefore it says, on that day, the shofar will be blown, death will be banished. In other words, the Satan will be banished and death will be abolished on the day of the sounding of the great shofar. As a result, when the Satan hears the shofar being blown in shul, he thinks to himself, oh boy, maybe that's the shofar. And I'm gone. So he gets all nervous and tense and excited that he just he becomes speechless. And he can't prosecute. Katshoma koil shipura, when the, this is the words of the Yushalmi, when the Satan hears the sound of the shofar, and he hears it the first time, zim nechada, bohil v'loy bohil. When he first hears it, he only gets a little bit confused. He gets a little bit shaken up. When he hears the second shofar blast, Omar says, oh, this is really it. <coughs> this must be the shofar sound that says, the great shofar sound, the great shofar blast. That's what I'm hearing right now. That he really gets confused and he can't say anything. And he says, my time is up. That's it. I'm being banished. I'm, I'm over. I'm through. Umis Arviv confuses him. So the first shofar blast doesn't quite confound him. But when he hears the second one, he says, yeah, this is it. This is that shofar blast. And he gets all confused and confounded because he thinks his time is up. Poor Sultan. Every year he makes the same mistake. Gam Loshna Yushalmi, Bekadmaisa Boil Voloi Boil, Kivnitoka Tinyona Bohil, Voomar Hashtavada Osi Mashiach, Loshna Yushalmi is Mashiach is here. What does that mean? Says the Vilna Goin in Sefer Yona. What is the first blast and the second blast? It refers to the Tekiah and the second Tekiah. You have a Tekiah followed by a trua or a shvarm, or a shvarm trua, which is the same idea, followed by a tekiah after that. So it seems that the second tekiah is what confounds him more than the first. Says the Vilna Gain, why? Because the second tekiah is a remez on the tshuva of the hamoin am, of the masses of people. In other words, the first tekiah only a few people do tshuva on that. The tzaddikim, let's say. But the second one is when the regular plain folk, they do tshuva. And that's what confuses him. Because the, why does that confuse him more? If you recall, again, a Gemara from Perik Chalik, in that we learned in Sanhedrin, it says over there that Mashiach was asked, Amosai Kosimai, when is the master going to come? So, Shiach answered, Hayom, today, today. Today, what does it mean today? He says, yeah, there's a postic that says, Hayom im b'kolo tishmo. It's a postic which tonight you're going to recite in the, in the paragraphs before the Luchadodi, in the Luchunaranana, which is a capital in Tillam. One of the psukim says, Hayom, today, in the Kolos Shmo, if you will only listen to Hashem's voice. 
In other words, the, the Mashiach says, my arrival is imminent and it's completely dependent on whether you do tshuva or not. And if you do tshuva, it's today. Today. Hayom in Bukolos Ishmo. The Hainush Mashiach Muchin Lovo Koyom Viyom in Moisin Shuva. Mashiach is ready to come any day as long as there's mass tshuva. Therefore, when the Sultan hears the second shofar, which the Vilna Gon says symbolizes the tshuva of the masses, then it's Hayom. This is tshuva. In the Kol Shmo, Mashiach comes. Hence, Bayom Hahu, on that day, Yitokha B'Shofar Godol. In other words, the Shofar Godol of tshuva, where the masses return on that day, is the day that the Sultan disappears. When he hears that shofar blast, he says, Oh, the day has arrived. I'm banished. He gets all confounded and confused. That's the Yushalmi. Okay, let's explain this a little bit better now. Next paragraph. V'nir levara pimashikosavashloakodesh. The Shloa explains the concept of the Tekiya, Shvarim Tshua Tekiya, in the following manner. The Tekiya Rishon, or the first Tekiya, is a remez on, it's, it, it symbolizes the human being the way he's born. Every human being is born blemishless without sin. Straight, smooth, with no blemishes, no breaks, no garbling. You're given a pure soul when you come down to this world. In other words, you're born a tzaddik. Every person is born a tzaddik. Unlike the Christians that believe that we are born fallen, we're born with sin, we're born without sin. We're prone to sin, that's true. We have the Yetzirah that right away tries to corrupt us, but it has to corrupt us. We are born with a pure soul. Every human being has a pure soul. That's the first Tekiah. What's that called? First Tekiah is what? First one, however you want to call it. It doesn't matter. Any language you want. So the Tekiah Rishona, the first Tekiah, represents the human being, the way he's born. He's born glat. He's glat kosher. He's born noki, mikola vero, pagam, from all blemish. Pshuta. He's born Pashat. The Tekiah is Pshuta. Kemoshikosav, as the Pasik says, Hoelakim also eso odom yoshar. God made man yoshar. Straight, flat, Pashat, like the Tekiah. It's only sin that corrupts and breaks. Valideyachatoim, as a result of sin, he becomes made crooked and broken. Hunase okum, pogum vishavur. It's only on account of sin that you become made crooked, broken, and corrupted, blemished, flawed. That's the shvarm, what breaks you. So the key is the way you're made, initially. Poshet, straight, glat. Shvarm represents the corruption of sin that comes and breaks you. Corruption. Then comes the trua. What is trua? Trua is the cry. The cry of the human being who sobs because of his sin and has regret and remorse and does tshuva. That's the, sec, that's the tshuva. Shemiyal v'oisit tshuva. And what does Hashem do when He hears your tshuva? He straightens you out again and He accepts your tshuva. HaKadosh Baruch Hu mekabal tshuvasa. God accepts the tshuva. V'choyzer u'miyashor k'mikadam and He straightens you out. He makes you glot and straight again. That's the second tekiah the Tekiah that follows the Shvarim and the Chua. Shechoyzer v'nispashet v'nisyasha. It comes to straighten you out and to make you clean once again. 
Right. Im came. Now we can understand the idea a little bit better. The Sultan is not afraid of the first Takiyah. But what is the first Takiyah? That the first Takiyah represents the person without blemish, without sin. You come to the world, the Sultan is not so worried about it. First of all, for two ways. Quantitatively and qualitatively. Quantitatively, how many people go through life straight without sin? He doesn't have to worry about his banishment on account of those few tzaddikim that go through life straight and clean. <laughs> There's not going to be that many of them. Don't worry, I got them in my pocket. Secondly, qualitatively, because Satan doesn't have to worry when he sees you at tzaddik. I'll get him, eventually. I'll get him to fall. You know, I have hope. The Satan has a lot of hope when he sees a tzaddik. He becomes a mark. You know, it's like the cartoons when the... Uh, Wolf or whatever sees the lamb going around. He just sees lamb chops over there. You know, they always show you the, the balloon of his imagination. That's what the Sultan sees. He sees you. He sees, ah, this is a lamb ready for slaughter. I'm going to take care of him. So the Sultan doesn't get confused from that. So the first Kia, yeah, he's a little bit concerned when he sees a tzaddik because his job is to corrupt us. So he sees a tzaddik, it concerns him. But he's not that confounded by it because I'll get it. So that doesn't concern the Sultan so much. Who's poshit, like the Tkiah, like the first Tkiah. He knows that he's going to be able to get him, he's going to get him to sin. He's not so worried about the Tzadik Gomor. What does confound him is the second one. Because he knows I could never really keep the person down. What he's afraid is that the second, the second blast, which represents tshuva, the ability of a person to pick himself out of the dust even after he sinned, and to straighten himself out and to clean himself up and to make himself straight and get over the sin, that means that the sultan is never guaranteed a victory. Shafilu acharachet, even after sin, a person has the capacity to straighten himself out, and that's what the Pasuk says, even after you fall, you could rise up again. Avki nofal, you could rise up again. Kedichsev, like the Pasik says, kinofalti kamti. Pasik in, in Mishle, I believe it is. Kinofalti kamti. Lost track right now. Although I have fallen, I will rise up again. I will yet rise. Kinofalti kamti. Although I have fallen, I will get up. Or another Pasik. Yeah, this Pasik is from Mishlei. Sheva Yipol Tzadik Vakom. A Tzadik is able to fall seven times, and seven times means it's just an expression that's used to refer to a large quantity. Tzadik can fall seven times, but he can get up again. You could fall, you get up, fall, get up, fall, get up. You could always rise, no matter how many times you fall. Ki Sheva Yipol Tzadik Vakom. Next page. So therefore, that explains to us what Taisus refers to. The Sotan is afraid. And he says, This is what confounds the Sotan. He says, Ah, that's the chauffeur of the great chauffeur blast on the final day when I'll be banished. The question is the following. The obvious question. 
the base Knesses who are Shoifer Godel Shem Mashiach. Why does the Sultan, again, go with a childlike approach? When the Sultan hears the blowing shofar in the Beis HaKnesses, he thinks that's the shofar of Mashiach? I mean, come on. It happened last year already, and the year before, and the year before, for 3,000 years. That means the Sultan's been through this process 3,000 times. By now, you should get over it already. Yeah, they're blowing the shofar again. I know this isn't Mashiach. Oh, maybe, come on. I know what is going on there. They're blowing shofar in shul. I got another year ahead of me. Why would the Sutton always, always make the same blunder? He makes the same mistake year after year, thinking it's the chauffeur blast of Mashiach. Why does he think that? Avolo'inyan. But it's the following. What concerns the Sutton is the power of repentance, of tshuva. Vahainu, because the second tekiah that you hear in Shul is Meir al-tikun represents the final triumph and victory over evil and over sin that you could fix yourself up. That's the shofar godel of Mashiach. It's a remez to tshuva that it says, was, what does it say? It'll be the final shofar on that day. The shofar godel will blow. And the pasuk continues, and those lost souls in Assyria and have been pushed away in Egypt will return and come back to Israel. But that refers both to a physical as well as a spiritual return. It means that, yeah, the Jews that are lost physically and spiritually will eventually come back. So the Pesach says, on the day of that final chauffeur blast, those lost souls from Egypt and Assyria throughout the exile are going to come back to Israel. There's going to be an ingathering of exiles. But it also refers to a spiritual return. That those lost souls that are gone and lost, and we think they're gone forever, Jews can always come back. And Jews will eventually come back. So therefore, the shofar godol refers to the great shofar sound of tshuva and of return. Shu'inyan tshuva. That's the shofar godol. That's the second blast the Tkiyah Tenyana, the last Tkiyah, which is the Tshuva, and that's what the Satan is afraid of, because this is the, this is the key, the soul, the secret, of the future redemption, what the future redemption is about. Next paragraph. Because when we talk about our, we always say Animam, we believe in the coming of Mashiach. What is that all about? What is this future redemption concept? Conceptually, what does the future redemption mean? It means that there's a victory over sin, that even though you've sinned, you can come back. The world wasn't only given to the righteous. The world was given to all human beings because humankind can always repent and make themselves righteous again, even after you've said there's hope. It's Mashiach represents the concept of hope, but spiritual hope. Hope of what we call Tikkun Olam. But Tikkun Olam doesn't mean going around you know, um, uh, building uh, churches in, uh, in the south after they got burned down. Tikkun Olam means the Tikkun of sin. That even though we've sinned, we can repent and we repair. We could repair sin. Tikkun Olam means the repair of the world. Not, you know, social justice. It may be a part of it, possibly. But it's about Tikkun Olam of trying to repair the world. Which means that even though you've sinned, you could still repair. That's 
what our belief in the future redemption represents. It's the whole concept of Mashiach himself. That Mashiach is the tikkun that comes after the fall. It's not about the guy that walks straight and upright. It's about the guy that picks himself up, shakes off the dust, and then walks upright. Vutikun olam. That's the tikkun olam that we're talking about. Fixing up sin, fixing up blemish, fixing up flaws. It's the tikkun of the entire creation of the Bria through tikkun achet, through repair of sin by way of tshuva. Now we can understand why Mashiach was given that title of Bar Nafli, son of the fallen. Because the concept behind Mashiach represents the idea of not everybody that's great was born great and stayed great. Some people could be great even after they've fallen. And that's the ultimate hope of mankind. Not penultimate, but the ultimate. The ultimate hope of mankind is to be able to be fallen and to pick yourself up and to be great again. So when we talk about Mashiach, the future redemption, the whole idea of future redemption is redemption after sin. Redemption of tikkun after sin. So Mashiach is called Bar Nafli, son of the fallen. Like we had the passage before. Even though the tzaddik falls, he can rise up. Although I have fallen, I can get up again. Mashiach is called Bar Nafli. And therefore, Kivan, uh, and that's why the Pasik says, the, the, the Prophet Omus says, on that day, Hashem says, what is that day? That day of tshuva, of that day of the shofar. On that day, the day of the great shofar, the day of the tshuva, what does Hashem say? Okim esukas dovid hanofolas. I will erect, I will raise up again the fallen sukkah of David that was fallen. Now, let's keep going. The Nebi Gemara Brachas says, we all know, we learned this when we learned Brachas, and again, that's why I couldn't bring down all the sources separately, so I'm just reading straight from here. The Gemara Brachas, the Avdal, brings down that in the Tehillah of David, the Ashrei, that we recite daily three times, the letter Nun is missing. Why is the letter Nun missing? Because Nun represents Nefilah. Falling. That's what the Gemara says in Brachas Davdalad. Lefiko Chishmit Davides Nun in the Mizmor Tila David. David left out the Nun, and it was David himself who left out the Nun of Nefila. Kidei Lahashmit Haklala Shekosav Omus. Another Pasik in Omus. There's a Pasik in Omus that talks about the inability to raise after you've fallen. And that's considered the worst curse of Klal Yisrael. What does Amos say? Nafla lo sosifkum. You have fallen, lo sosifkum, and you will never be able to get up again. And Dovid Amel says, no, I reject that. There's a prophecy that says, Nafla, fallen, lo sosifkum. You will never be able to get up again. Dovid says, I'm leaving that nun of fallen out because there's no such thing as being fallen, never to rise up. That's the worst curse of all. Now, comes out very interesting. <coughs> the Novi almost contradicts himself. Vinei Novi almost ba'atzmo that says, Nofolo sosif kum. Almost, who says this prophecy of Nofolo sosif kum, 
is also the prophet that says, Bayomahu, on that day, Okim, I will raise up the Sukkah's Dovid Hanofolos. The same Novi that says both. So almost that says, Nofolos, Osef Kum, also prophesies and says, Bayomahu, on that day, I will raise up the fallen Sukkah of Dovid. So David himself is the one that had that ability. Hishmit Nun of Nefila. He's the one that takes away the Nun of Nefila. And the Gemara actually rereads the Pasik of Omus by putting in the Kamas slightly differently. Rather than Nafla Lo Sosef Kum, it reads it Nafla Lo Sosef. Fall you shall no longer. Kum Bisolas Yisrael. Arise, you virgin Israel. And the Gemara rereads it by, by shifting the comma. Rather than nafla, comma, lo sosif, kum, it becomes nafla, lo sosif, kum, get up. David is the one that had that ability. He's the one that took the nun out of Ashrei and took it out. Why David? Because it's his anical that's going to be Mashiach, who's bar nafli who's the son of the fallen one. Therefore, Lefikoch ben David, since David is the one that had this ability to leave out the nun of Nefila, it's the son of David, that's Nikra bar Nafli, son of the fallen one, because of this prophecy of almost that says, on that day, Okim esukas Dovra nofolos. Because the whole concept, the whole foundation of Mashiach, is the ability to get up even after many, many times that you've fallen. Is the ability, no matter how many times you fall, you can still get up. And this is Mashiach, this is what the future redemption represents to us. This, of course, is the great shofar sound that we're talking about, which is the second shofar blast. And that's the one that the Satan is most afraid of. Shiori HaSatan, because the Satan knows, and that confuses the Satan, because he knows this. He knows this to be a truth, that as many times as you get the person to fall, he's never guaranteed victory. He never has a permanent victory, because you're a human being, you can always get up no matter how many times he makes you fall. Because he knows that we always have this ability. He tries to fool you in that. You're fallen, you're down, forget it, you'll never ever get up. It's too late. The Satan knows that if you really think about it and you know what you're doing, then you can always straighten yourself out. You could straighten yourself into like that second tekiah and you could get up. After all falls of sin, you could still rise up again. And that's going to bring the gula. And the gula comes immediately then. Hayom, on this day, in Bekolos Ishmo. If you listen to the voice of Hashem, Hayom, today, Mashiach comes. And that's what the Tekiah Basra, the second Tekiah comes, that's what confounds the Satan. So the truth of the matter is, that the Satan isn't foolish at all. When he hears the shofar in the Beis HaKnesses, he says, oh, it's Mashiach, it makes the same mistake. No, he knows, if they do tshuva, this is it. He knows it better than we. He knows it better than we, right, exactly. He knows we're the ones that are foolish, thinking, oh, yeah, we're blowing the shofar again. No, no, the Satan knows, I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they'll do tshuva, and I'm gone today. Today it's over. Today it's over. And the Sultan knows, and therefore the Sultan says to himself, it confounds him, in came the MS, Shah Shoifer shall be Saknesis. 
You don't need the sound of Mashiach's shofar. The sound of the shofar in the shul can become the shofar godel that frightens the satan. Because that could become the shofar godel of Mashiach. So the satan is no fool. He's not making a mistake at all. Because this could occur any and every year. This can happen. And therefore the satan is boil. Because he knows that because no matter how many times the satan wins, he's never guaranteed victory. No matter how many times he fools the person and wins the person and causes him to sin, time after time he gets you down. He doesn't have a clear-cut eternal victory. The satan can never be have a clear-cut victory, he can never have an eternal victory. Because it's that second chauffeur that tells the Satan, uh-uh, you didn't win. Because it's the second Tkiah. That's what teaches us and shows us. A person could instantly transform himself and triumph over the Satan. Even if he lost many times. No matter how many times you lost to the Satan, you can triumph over the Satan one time permanently. And that's what the future Gula that we believe in represents. This is the concept behind the Gula Asida and what Mashiach represents. This is what Mashiach is all about. Therefore, Mashiach is called Bar Nafli, son of the fallen one, because it represents this idea for us. Now let's take it up a little bit of a deeper level. Let's now add another idea to this. The Malbim. Malbim says that there's a difference, Malbim in, in the Parsha of Chatzotzus in Baaloyzcha says the following, that there's a difference between Tekiah and Shua. The sound of Tekiah was the sound that was always used by trumpets, for example, to assemble the people and to herald joyous events. Rosh Chodesh, Korbanas, the Beis Migdash, Assembly, they blew a tekiah. Tekiah represents joy, joyous events. Tekiah was simcha. Trua is what they blew when there's war, when there's fear, when they have to warn the people, like an air raid siren. That when they blow the trua, that was the sound of movement. You have to move. We have to put everybody together. We have to move. We have to get out of here. Enemies are coming. War is coming. Trua was the sound of yira and pachat of fear. Now, what does the Tkiah represent according to the Malbim? Tkiah represents a type of tshuva. It represents the tshuva, the repentance of those people that do tshuva out of love and joy. Me'ava v'simcha. True, on the other hand, represents a sound of tshuva when people do it out of fear and dread. So there's two kinds of tshuva. There's tshuva from fear and dread of God and punishment, then there's tshuva of the joy of return to Hashem, joy and, and love. So it comes out like this. The second tekiah that we talked about refers to the tshuva me'ava. The first tekiah represents a person when he's straight to begin with. Comes the shvarm, that sin. Right? That's the, what the shlaw says. So we're going to combine the shlaw with the malam. We're going to combine the two ideas. So the first tekiah is person born straight. Tzadik. Shvarm is sin. Trua is tshuva. Tkia is, is to be straightened out again. 
According to this, though, we could take it one step further. The tshuva represents tshuva of a person that's broken down in fear. So yeah, you're doing tshuva, but you're broken up because of your sin. You're crying. It's melancholy. It's depression. It's fear and dread of God's judgment. It's awe, fear, dread. That's tshuva. And that's, that's a legitimate tshuva. But it's tshuva meira. Kiatkiya kadma is the tzaddik, as we said, according to the shlom. Yeah, so the trua is a remez lahashavim meira. Trua represents the tshuva of those that repent out of fear. Right? Again, the tkiya, according to the shlom, the first tkiya is tzaddik, the shvarim is sin. Trua begins the tshuva process. So that refers to those that do tshuva mihira and do it out of fear. The tekiah, now we're on the last page finally. The last tekiah, on the other hand, represents the tshuva that comes through love and joy. So we put together the malbum with the shalom. Well, once we have this, we can now answer some of our original questions as well. We can now understand why Sukkot occurs after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Why is Tshuva and why is Sukkot called Zman Simchaseinu? Following Yomim Noroim, the fearful days, days of awe. Right? Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are called Yomim Noroim, days of awe, days of fear, days of dread. Followed by Sukkot, which is the days of joy, Simcha. Now we can now see the connection. Because Sukkot represents a higher level of tshuva than what you have on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which is, people are afraid of judgment. They're afraid of the judgment of God, and you fast and this, you're scared. You cry, you're fearful. It's tshuva, and it's legitimate, certainly, but it's tshuva that comes from awe and dread. Sukkot is a time of joy. You come close to Hashem. You come close to Hashem, and the tshuva of Sukkot is a higher level of tshuva because it comes from love and joy. Just like the last kia, which comes after the tshuva, and according to the Malbim, tshuva is fear, tkia is joy. So the last kia represents the highest level of tshuva, which is tshuva of love and tshuva of simcha. So too Sukkot is a zman simchaseinu which comes after Yom Naroim. Shame Trua. Because Yom Naroim represents the Trua, the Chuva Meira. Sukkot is the second Tkia, the Tkia Basra, which is Chuva of love and joy. Therefore, we can now see the connection between Sukkot and the future redemption. Kiat Kia Basra, because it's the last Tkia that we mentioned earlier that contains within it the key elements of the future redemption, the Gulasida. And that's what the Satan is most afraid of. And therefore that's Sukkot, which is for that reason called Zaman Simchaseinu. And as we said, Mashiach is Bar Nafli, because he has the ability to rise up on the Pasuk, Bayom Hahu, on that day, Okim as Sukkot, Dovid Hanofalis, like the Pasuk says, on that day Hashem will raise up the fallen Sukkot of Dovid. But there's a deeper concept behind this as well. And that's based on the Gemara in Yuma. Gemara in Yuma tells us 
that the two kinds of tshuva that a person does, tshuva miyira and tshuva miyava, have different results. Tshuva miyira has the ability to take all of your intentional sins and wipe it and make it like, like unintentional sins. Like shogeg. It turns all of your mazed sins into shogeg sins. It doesn't quite wipe everything clean. There's still a residual you know, aspect to it. But it wipes it off, takes away your rebelliousness, it takes away your, your intentional sin, makes it shogeg. When a person does tshuva me'ava, it has the ability to transform your sins and convert them into merits, into schus, like a mitzvah. That's the power of tshuva me'ava. So therefore it's like this. The tshuva me'ava turns the dainus into schuyas. Now since sukkus represents a time of joy and love when we do tshuva me'ava, so it comes out that it's on Sukkot that Zdainoisov Avainoisov Nishapchen L'Schuyos becomes turned into merits. When you think about it, the Pasuk that we mentioned earlier, Kinofalti Kamti, which we translated as, although I have fallen, I will yet rise. But it doesn't really read that way. The word Ki usually means because. In which case, the three words, three words that part of the Pasuk, Ki, Nofalti, Kamti, which then would normally translate as, because I have fallen, I have gotten up. Oh. Rather than, although I have fallen, I will rise up again and yet rise. But no, because I have fallen, hence, or therefore, I will rise. So this teaches us a great mystery of creation. That Nefila itself becomes the source and the cause that propels a person to rise. It's your fall that makes you rise. And the Yerida is what we call Yerida Litzayrich Aliyah. Very similar to a concept, and this is a deeper concept, we can't go into this right now, that the Zohar says, There is no light that doesn't emanate from darkness. And he learns it out from the very beginning of creation. Vahi Erev, Vahi Boker. Yom Echod. There was dark, there was night, and there was day, one day. In other words, light emerges from darkness. There is no light unless it emerges from darkness. That's what the Zohar says, which is the great mystery of creation. Now, once you understand that deeper concept, that is the darkness itself, that contains the seeds of light in it. And it's in the seeds of sin itself, and in the fall, that allows the person the seeds of rising, it turns out that that's what propels you to rise up to higher levels when there's love and joy. And therefore, when Mashiach is being called Bar Nafli, the son of the fallen, it means that the seeds of all final redemption and raising a person up to the highest levels, when there's joy and simcha, comes from being fallen. That's what Bar Nafli represents. Al Kapan and Navor, now we see why Sukkis has this connection to the future redemption, and why it comes after the Yom Naram, the days of dread and awe, and why Sukkis is called Zman Simchaseinu, and why Mashiach and Sukkis are connected, and why it's called Bar Nafli.
Now, we could understand the original point. So why Sukkot occurred this time of the year, on the 15th of Tishrei, not in Nisan? Because what we're commemorating is not the clouds of glory, but the second clouds of glory, the return of the clouds, the clouds that come after Tshuva. We're not commemorating clouds, those are gone. That first Sitkas word, Sadik, God made us straight. You know what? The Sutton got us. He made us fall. That first Tekiah is long time gone because you had a swarm, you fell down. It's only the ability to rise up and have a second Tekiah and have a second chance. That's what becomes permanent. And that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating not the clouds, but the return of the clouds, the second clouds. So we make a zecher for the Anana Yaakov of the, of the second time. Not the first clouds, because the zecher is on the return of the clouds. And the return comes about through the process of tshuva, where God accepts our tshuva and gives us back our former glory because of the love that we have. And we go back to our original madrega. It's the second clouds that come back, that symbolize this idea that people could rise up after they've fallen. The idea that a person could get up after he's fallen is symbolized with the second clouds, not the first. And that's what Sukkot is all about, as we said. It's this ability, that's what we talk about, God should restore the Sukkah of David that has fallen down. That's the Barnafli, as we said earlier. So therefore, it's the return of the clouds that showed that the Jewish people repented and the repentance was accepted and they had the new joy, the newfound joy of their return to Hashem's relationship with love and with joy that came about on Sukkot when they built the base of Mikdash, the Mishkan, uh, the Kabbalah's tshuva, that they returned to their former glory. And this ability to straighten oneself out and to be poshut, to be that second tekiah, and to be able to do that to yourself, that's what the simcha of Sukkot is all about. That's why Sukkot is called Zman Simchaseinu. That's the second tekiah, as we said earlier. So therefore, it's not a commemoration of clouds of glory, but rather it's a commemoration of the ability to merit the return of clouds of glory by having our tshuva of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur not only accepted, but enhanced by love and joy, and hence we return to Hashem and our sins become transformed into merits, and we now find ourselves in the grace of God. That's the last kia. And that's what Zman Simchasein of Sukkis is all about. Oh, yeah,